Now I invite you to pray with me and to pray for me. Lord God, take my words this morning and speak through them. Take our hearts this morning and speak to them. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence and we invite you to bring conviction to our hearts through the living word that you will initiate healing and transformation in our lives. All for the glory of your great name, Lord Jesus. Amen. After my sermon this past week on Matthew 18, someone made the comment, you know, that's part of what we're called to be as Christians. It's part of our mission. It's who we are. And as I heard that, it occurred to me that it's important that we remember who we are at Church of the Redeemer regularly each Sunday. Now, you get an opportunity every Sunday to recite our mission statement together. What is our mission? We're called to make followers who know Christ, grow together, and go into the world. It's also important for you to know our vision. Our mission is what we're about. Our vision is how we as a church picture ourselves before the world, who we are and also who we want to be. In our vision, you can find this on our website. Redeemer will be a community in which every member is actively engaged in knowing Christ, in growing together and in going into the world, both individually and as a body, corporately, to advance the kingdom of God. So we're agreeing as members of Redeemer to be actively engaged in the knowing the growing and the going. That's a reminder of who we are. We're members on a journey of knowing, growing and going. A journey that begins with our faith and continues every day. No one's expected to remain as they are or as they were. We're growing as we're going. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been welcomed into his kingdom by faith in Jesus and then begins your journey. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're on an ongoing journey of sanctification, which ultimately will lead to transformation in your life with a goal of holiness, of becoming more like Christ. Augustine taught that our hearts are restless Forever restless until they find rest in God. And he also taught that all of our human desires are disordered. Even when we have faith in Jesus and have been redeemed, we remain impacted by original sin. Augustine yearned for God's transformation in his heart and in his life. And he would have been horrified to hear the modern Belief that he would have been affirmed as he was. He would have been horrified. He believed as a citizen of Christ's kingdom, he was submitted to Jesus Christ's rule and reign, and that as a member of kingdom of God, he would be transformed to be more like Christ, that he would be less like himself and more like Christ each day on his journey of sanctification. My sermon last week touched on a big part of that journey 
and God's command for his people. And that was on Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, focused on reconciliation. Reconciliation is a command by Jesus for those who believe him and believe in him and those who follow him. It's something that we are to do. It was Jesus first owning the Nike mantra, just do it. I guess it was his first, Jesus. If anyone missed that sermon from last week, I encourage you to listen to it online. It's recorded and it's posted on our website in our podcasts. One question that I was asked afterwards was, what about situations where one doesn't feel safe in the presence of the other person, whether because of abuse or trauma or just fear? Well, I thought about that. And my answer was that Jesus' command was to just do it, to seek reconciliation with a brother or sister in Christ when relationship's broken. Whenever a relationship is damaged, we're to seek reconciliation. But I believe his instructions provide a way forward in the face of fear, in the face of danger. Jesus' first step in that process of reconciliation was to go to the brother or sister who had wronged you or who had sinned against you one-on-one. Tell them their fault, just the two of you, he said. But if the sin against you was one of abuse or caused fear or caused harm, someone in that position can simply move to step two, which is go with one or two other witnesses. Now, we talked about this last week. Witnesses aren't just those who believe your side of the story. Witnesses are those that have an understanding of the break in the relationship so that they can serve as mediators. I was not advocating last week for anyone to be forced into an unsafe confrontation. I was seeking to highlight Jesus' instruction for his people. Where broken relationship has happened. We as his people are to seek reconciliation. His goal was for reconciliation, to regain and restore relationship. He said so that you would win back your brother or your sister. Our role as as disciples of Jesus inherently invites us to follow his instructions. But we're not responsible for the results. That's something to remember. You can't be responsible for someone else's response or someone else's reaction. We're called to obey. All responsibility for whether there's forgiveness or reconciliation, that belongs with Jesus. The end of our Romans passage, so then each of us will give an account of themselves to God. All responsibility rests with Jesus. He's the final arbiter in each of our lives. Today, we read the next few verses after Jesus' instruction about reconciliation. It's the continuation of that same scene, beginning with Peter's response to Jesus' teaching regarding reconciliation. So turn to page four in your leaflet. You'll have the gospel reading in front of you. Peter has just heard Jesus' exhortation for reconciliation. And he appears to be either incredulous or maybe frustrated. Verse 21. 
Then Peter came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? He essentially says, Lord, how often must I forgive? Now, it was fascinating to note that in last week's reading about reconciliation, Jesus never mentioned forgiveness. He simply said, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell them their fault between the two of you. There's no mention of forgiveness. Forgiveness is implicit in any process of reconciliation, but Jesus doesn't mention it. Peter here is moved to exasperation by the forgiveness Jesus expects. He asks his question. He essentially says, my brother continues to sin against me. I can't take it any longer. Maybe he was saying, what if this is happening? I probably couldn't take it any longer. But if you understand Peter the way I understand Peter, he wasn't real sophisticated. He said what he thought. And I believe here he's saying, I can't take this any longer. How many times must I forgive until I'm off the hook? Do you see what I see here, too? His brother is sinning against him. Who do you think the brother is? Probably one of the other disciples, right? Maybe one of the twelve. This is the first community of faith, the first church of Jesus Christ. And there's already conflict. There's already need for forgiveness and reconciliation. So here, Peter's tired of his fellow Christian. He's tired of being sinned against. Now, what kind of sin? Maybe it was envy. Maybe it was false accusation. We don't know. Maybe someone was just pushing Peter's buttons from a past wound that Peter had. They continued to get under his skin. What we do know is that Peter's tired of it. I suspect many of you right now can relate to Peter's frustration, his resentment of the one who keeps sinning against him, who keeps harming him, who doesn't stop. Peter asks, do I need to forgive seven times? Well, Peter used seven, the biblical number of completion. Perhaps Peter was seeking to be generous. Wow, seven's a lot. How about seven, Jesus? If you do relate to Peter's situation, I imagine Jesus' answer was as difficult for you as they were, as it was for Peter, and as it is for me. Jesus answers the question, how many times with, as many times as the person wrongs you. Different translations will say 77 times, or 7 times 70, or there's different, the whole idea is a big number that you're not going to be counting. Peter's not going to be counting. Okay, we're on 75. I'm almost there. He doesn't give an end number. He says, just do it. He said, seek reconciliation. Today, we hear him say to Peter, forgive. Period. When your brother or sister has wronged you or harmed you, you are to forgive. It's also interesting, no note or mention of repentance here. He simply says in our reading, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Jesus said 70 times 7. Jesus didn't say 
Well, if they repent, if they apologize, there's no mention of repentance. Jesus' followers are called to forgive. You, as a follower of Jesus, are called to forgive. Not to hold on to offenses or hold offenses against others. Not to harbor resentment against those who've hurt you. Just do it. Forgive. To emphasize this point, Jesus then tells a parable. Summing it up, a servant owes a massive debt to his to their master. So big that the only solution would be to sell the slave and their family to pay the debt. The family would likely be separated and the servant cries out for mercy. Well, the master surprisingly grants mercy, forgives the debt. That same servant, we are told, is owed a much smaller debt, a much smaller amount from another individual. And they show no mercy and imprison that debtor. The one who received extravagant mercy refuses to show another that same mercy. Maybe it was because of frustration, maybe because of resentment. Maybe they couldn't take it any longer. The one who received extravagant mercy refuses to show another that same mercy. The parable ends with the master's anger at the servant's unmerciful unforgiveness towards their neighbor. To be clear, what was Jesus saying? He was telling Peter, you're the servant. You have received extravagant mercy. So show the same mercy and forgive your brother or your sister. God's word is living and active, yes? You don't sound convinced. Is God's word living and active? So he's saying to you and to me, you are that same servant. You have received extravagant mercy. Jesus says to Peter, to the disciples, and now to us, that forgiveness is expected. And again, note, Jesus doesn't mention that the other person repented or apologized for the wrongdoing. He simply says, forgive. Now, this sounds too extreme. This sounds unfair. Utterly unbearable. And yet, it's just what Jesus calls all of his disciples to do. Forgiveness in the pursuit of reconciliation. The offender is not required to repent for you to forgive in Jesus' teaching. Reconciliation is not required for you to forgive the other. In Christ... By faith in Jesus Christ, you have received extravagant mercy and forgiveness. You've received that from God, and now you're called to give that same extravagant mercy to others who may not deserve it, who may continue to sin against you. Now remember, you're not responsible for the other's behavior. You're not responsible for the reconciliation. You can't make anything happen. You can obey Jesus. You're called to seek reconciliation. If someone wrongs you or has hurt you, go and show them their fault. And you're called to forgive. 
If another doesn't participate in that reconciliation or does not repent or continues to harm, you're not expected to be a martyr and just suffer. It does say keep forgiving. You are called to forgive. But Jesus says in our reading from last week, if they refuse to listen even to the church, let them to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. You're called to forgive, but then treat them differently like any other sinner. And how did Jesus treat tax collectors and Gentiles? He loved them. He prayed for them. He invited them to repent. He proclaimed the gospel to them. So you're called to love and to pray for those that may continue to sin against you. You're called to reject resentment or bitterness and forgive them. And you have the ability, perhaps the responsibility, to set relational boundaries to protect your heart. You're not called to be a martyr and just suffer. If they continue to sin against you, then set some boundaries. I believe those two or three witnesses can be there with you, as you do. Now, this is a really hard teaching from Jesus. One that fulfills the great commandment. Love God and love your neighbor. We just said that. We say that every Sunday. We're to love God first with all that we are and love our neighbor as ourself. And then this teaching... We are also called to obey Jesus, but this is just as impossible. It's impossible to do this in your own effort. You'll need the Holy Spirit's peace and empowerment to practice this kind of forgiveness. You'll need the support and encouragement of other Christians, other men and women, believers in Jesus who can support you. You may have already been doing this in your head, but I invite you to take a moment to think about those in your life who've sinned against you. Who repeatedly sin against you. Have you forgiven them? Have you sought reconciliation? Are you harboring bitterness or resentment? Are you struggling to forgive them? If any of that is true, I challenge you to bring your wounded heart to Jesus. Bring before Jesus the offender who is offended against you. Cry out to Jesus for his comfort and his help by his Holy Spirit. Jesus promises that if you will take up your cross and follow him, if you will obey, Seek to obey his teaching. He promises he will be with you. He will never forsake you. He will fill you with his Holy Spirit. And he will enable you to do the impossible. To forgive. As you seek reconciliation. And. While you're forgiving, God will work in your own heart to bring healing. To bring transformation in your life. As you daily know him, as you daily grow together in community and in faith, and as you go into the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.